Hello and welcome to Very Necessary, a podcast delving into the stories behind the objects that we just can't live without. I'm Melissa Hemsley. I am a chef, I'm a food writer and food activist. And in every episode, I'll be joined by an amazing guest bringing their very own indispensable object they can't live without. Together, we're going to find out why it means so much to them and reveal some of the strange and fascinating facts buried in its past. Today, my guest is the magnificent AJ Adudu. AJ Adudu is a Blackburn-born TV presenter. She is best known for co-presenting Big Brother's Bit on the Side on Channel 5, and she's the backstage reporter on The Voice UK. It's fair to say that AJ's TV work is super varied. As a fitness guru, she's completed an SAS Who Dares Wins, and she's also taken part in the Channel 4 documentary Manhunting with My Mum. She's also got a brand new TV show coming out this summer. It's called Apocalypse Wow, where celebrities compete to win money for charities of their choice. Welcome, AJ. So lovely to have you. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. And what an introduction. I was nodding <laughs> along. I was like, yes, yes, I do that. I did that. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> Such an impressive uh, roundup of just some of your achievements. And because you're so busy, I want to say an extra special thank you for making a bit of time with us today. And are you excited to hear about the big reveal? We're not going to just say it just yet, but the big reveal of what you can't live without. <laughs> I mean... Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I can't wait to learn all about my object. Yeah. Had you given this object (laughs) much thought before? Has anyone ever asked you this? No, 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 to be honest. (laughs) It was like, oh, what can't you live without? And I was like, well, this, obviously. Okay, do it then. Come on, tell us. So it is toothpaste. Ta-da! Ta-da! I mean... I like to have a minty fresh breath at all time. (laughs) Oral hygiene is very important to me. Mm -hmm. And I brush my teeth twice a day, at least. And is it something that has always been so indispensable or, you know, now we're grown-ups and everything, is it something you enjoy doing? Is it sort of meditative for you? Do you stop and ponder the world? No, I don't. But at the same time, it's always been... Yeah, I just, I remember like... For example, when I was a kid and I, I, I got the grown-up toothpaste. You know when you're a kid and you get that toothpaste that just tastes like bubblegum and then you step it up to the peppermint that like burns your mouth initially. And I remember that being like an exciting, an exciting day for me. Also, you know, <laughs> having a bigger toothbrush with bigger bristles and stuff like that. So... You know, brushing my teeth has always just been a good, fun thing to do. That's what we want. We want to have clean teeth. We want to have a great mouth. And we want to just know that we don't smell. (laughs) It's it's so true. And you said you like it super minty. Yeah, I like a nice, strong toothpaste. Now, you know, I'm getting sensitive teeth now. Boring, which means that, you know, you have to use the sensitive ones, which I think don't offer, um, you know, a strong uh, flavour sometimes, but, you know, we move. 
you know what's so funny though and you just said you know getting a bit sensitive boring it is just another part of growing up isn't it it's the sensitive gums also I've been told by my dentist that I brush too hard oh my gosh I've been told that as well yeah because we get so into it and almost we want to feel like we're getting it done yeah so we're brushing too hard which can result in receding gums and of course you said oral hygiene and that very much um goes into to gum hygiene and and gum gum disease and gum and decay we're going to hear all about it let's find out a little bit about where toothpaste has come from where it started why we've got it and all the players in it um to do so we're going to introduce the very amazing cat summers she is the very necessaries podcast's own head of stories she's been finding out all about the origins of toothpaste hi cat welcome hi melissa hi aj hi your talk about um Oh, intricate ways of cleaning your teeth reminds me of school. And did, were you given stickers to put on your mirror? Yes. Does anyone else remember this? No. School gave us a sticker and you put, you put it on your mirror and then you ticked off, I think, every time you cleaned your teeth. Oh, my God. I still think gosh. of that. Do you remember this? Do you no. have this? But I always remember just being in school and people not brushing their teeth before breakfast, which... I just remember reading in a book that that is something that you shouldn't do. You should brush your teeth as soon as you wake up sort of thing. Mm. And I've always brushed my teeth before breakfast. Before, but not after. Always before. Mouthwash after. (laughs) Yeah. It's a two-prong attack. (laughs) (laughs) So Kat, tell us. Tell us a little bit about what you found out. Any surprising facts? Uh, there certainly was. This is an interesting one, although I'm a little bit worried about my dental hygiene now. I feel like A-Day's called me out. But um, <laughs> it was really interesting because <laughs> the way we look after our teeth has only really changed in the last century, so which is pretty recent given how long humans have been around. And until then, preventing tooth decay was fairly basic because our, but because our diet was also basic, our teeth didn't do that badly, which was just as well because you did not want to be visiting what we'll loosely describe as a dentist in the 1100s. There was a turning point in history, though, when one very addictive white substance caused havoc with our teeth and it spawned one of the strangest fashion trends I've ever heard of, black teeth. Black teeth? F- a fashion trend? Yeah, it really was the pinnacle of being a fashion victim. Okay, Kat, tell us more. Talk us through the fashions of toothpaste and teeth. At 8.12pm on September 22nd, 1955, something momentous happened. And it happened in the living rooms of 100,000 households in South East England. What took place was the first advert broadcast on British TV. That's right, the first advert ever to appear on British TV screens was for toothpaste. Unilever's Gibbs SR toothpaste, to be precise. Everything about the advert feels distinctly 1950s. It's in black and white, it's over one minute long, and there's that voiceover in steady RP tones throughout. Everything, that is, except the model's straight, gleaming white teeth. They're the kind of perfect teeth we still desire today, and we've become even more fixated with making them whiter. In the UK, the most popular types of toothpaste, far more popular than regular toothpaste with around 20 million people using them, are whitening toothpastes. But this wasn't always the case. In contrast with our current fixation on having a dazzlingly white smile, there was a time when the sought-after look was black teeth. My mind is blown. (laughs) It's crazy, right? 
To understand this, we have to take a look at dental hygiene in England in the Middle Ages. It was surprisingly advanced. Beautifully illustrated manuscripts from the 12th century found in the UK explain which powders can clean teeth, how to fill cavities, and even how to recognise mouth cancer. This sophisticated knowledge may have existed in England, but it stayed within the elite circles of doctors and medical professionals in larger cities. Most people at the time didn't rely on physicians for dental care. They paid a visit to their local blacksmith, or a friend or barber surgeon. A barber surgeon, by the way, is exactly what it sounds like. Back then, the same person who trimmed your hair performed surgical procedures. Convenient? Yeah, but also deeply worrying. Luckily, medieval toothpaste made up for the amateur dentistry. Back then, people cleaned their teeth with tooth powders, which had become popular from all the way back to the year 5000 BC in Europe, up to 1950s Britain. Back in medieval England, people often made a powder by mixing together an abrasive substance such as salt or powdered charcoal and a scented herb or spice like mint or sage. So quite similar to the makeup of toothpaste today. They rubbed it on their teeth, then wiped it off with a rough linen cloth with the aim of getting clean teeth and having sweet breath. Fortunately, the average diet in medieval England was pretty coarse and bland, meaning less food could get stuck in between teeth, so less decay. It's a great diet for your teeth, less so for your taste buds, but they didn't know any different. British teeth really began to suffer when the well-heeled started to include in their diets an expensive and addictive ingredient that had become readily available in the 1500s, sugar. Before this, sugar had been a rarefied luxury that was only sprinkled on foods. But during the 1500s, sugar remained a product for the wealthy, who loved to show off their money and status with sugary treats for guests. And show off they did. In 1503, to celebrate the new Vice-Chancellor of the University of Oxford, a sugar sculpture of each of the eight towers of the university was created. Now that is one great British bake-off showstopper. Certainly beats a box of milk tray. The royal family's sugar fixation heightened the glamour and prestige of sugar. In 1526, Henry VIII hired seven cooks to create a sugar banquet at Greenwich. Within this was a manor with swans, a tower, a chessboard and a dungeon, all covered in gold. Henry VIII passed his sweet tooth onto his daughter, Elizabeth I, whose lifelong adoration of sugar was noted by foreign visitors who commented on the condition of her teeth. In 1598, a German traveller, Paul Hentzner, noted that Elizabeth's teeth were black adding it was a fault the English seemed to suffer from because of their great use of sugar. Hentzner was partly right. The English did have a love of sugar, but not all the rotten teeth he'd seen were truly rotten. Some people were just keeping up with the Joneses. Throughout Tudor England, the rates of tooth decay had shot up, particularly among the upper classes, thanks to how much sugar they were eating. They added honey to teeth cleaning routines too, which, needless to say, didn't help. All of this meant that by the end of the Elizabethan period, it was common for the wealthy to have black, rotten teeth. However, to give the impression they'd been gorging on sugar and therefore had loads of money, people were also blackening their teeth on purpose. Upper-class and wannabe upper-class Tudors weren't the first to do this. Black teeth was also fashionable among the Japanese aristocracy and had been since the 13th century. A practice known as ohagro involved people deliberately blackening their teeth because pitch black, shiny objects were seen as beautiful. A dye made from something called sumac leaf gall, sake and iron, was delicately painted onto teeth to create a black, shiny smile. 
Back in the UK, black teeth remained fashionable as long as sugar was incredibly expensive and therefore exclusively for the wealthy. But between 1710 and 1770, our sugar consumption grew five times bigger. Sugar became the driving force behind the transatlantic slave trade happening at that time, and the increase in demand led to European slave traders forcibly transporting more Africans to work as slaves on sugar plantations in the Caribbean. The cost of the sweet white gold came down as a result, but there was an incalculable human cost borne by the millions of slaves traded to support its production. As the British diet became sweeter and sweeter, genuine tooth decay became ubiquitous, increasing the need for real dental expertise. By the early 1800s, a number of trades followed the blacksmiths and barbers to offer dentistry to the suffering public. Among them, jewellers, beauticians, ivory turners, chemists and wig makers. If you wanted to replace your own rotten teeth, the luxury option was a set of human teeth set into an ivory base. But human teeth and ivory were understandably tricky to come by, not to mention the fact they had morally dubious sources. Graves were often robbed for the occupant's teeth. For instance, after the Battle of Waterloo, so many teeth were stolen from the mouths of dead soldiers that they became known as Waterloo teeth. As you can imagine, the smiles of the 1800s would have been riddled with large gaps, decaying teeth, and if you mingled in classier circles, the recycled smiles of the dead resulting in more uneven, blackened smiles than before, making them no longer as exclusive as they once were. Fast forward to today, where, similar to the Tudors, we might be taking the trend for tooth colouring too far. Last year, reports of illegal tooth whitening treatments went up by 26% in the UK. Incorrect procedures can lead to burns, blisters, and much like Tudors brushing teeth with honey, tooth loss. A quick reminder here that it's actually illegal for anyone other than dentists or dental health professionals to carry out teeth whitening. Undoubtedly, the rise of Instagram and the age of the selfie has fueled the desire for whiter teeth. A survey last year showed 22% of Brits would consider getting teeth whitening. Among the under-25s, it's even higher, at 40%. Over in America, the bright white smile has been ingrained in popular culture for a while longer. Think of the smiles of Elvis Presley, Marilyn Monroe, and even the Kennedys, all dazzling white. In comparison, around this time, the British rock bands splashed all over TV channels and magazines such as The Beatles, The Kinks and The Rolling Stones were far from having straight white teeth. In fact, they all had quite misshapen sets. The relatively recent uptake of British celebrities sporting whiter than white teeth has led to us making whitening toothpastes our go-to. Similar to the Brits in Tudor England who copied their own celebrity class, the same thing is slowly happening now. Instagram influencers and TV personalities have become our modern-day Elizabethan court. And some of us are still putting unregulated things onto our teeth to change their colour. Well, they do say fashion repeats itself, as does history. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I am gobsmacked. Who knew? Thanks, Kat. AJ, I was just thinking, I mean, I'm a big fan of recycling and all that. Like, big fan of recycling. But I wouldn't recycle teeth. Me neither. What did you think? What's really stood out for you from Kat's amazing tooth history? So many standout moments, like black teeth being a trend. No, thanks. Um, that There were teeth robberies going on. Um, 
from the graves. <laughs> from the graves. I mean, the, people were literally digging up teeth. And then it made me think about the tooth fairy. Now I'm thinking, what yeah. happens to all those teeth to this day? What's going on? <laughs> have, have your parents not got them in a little AJ box somewhere? <laughs> oh, I hope not. I hope they've just binned them deep down. Kat, what you said about how one of the very first TV adverts was for toothpaste and it was a minute long and that must have cost a lot of money. But then I was thinking, does anyone have any idea what your average person has spent on toothpaste in their lifetime? Can you imagine? Ooh. I don't know, but I do spend quite a bit on toothpaste, especially yeah. the sensitive ones. They've, they've jacked the prices up. The price of them. I spent £5 on a tube of toothpaste once and I was like, this is insane. Like, come on. Can I give you a little tip? You know, I told you I love recycling. My yeah. mum is the queen of getting the very last bit out of something so what yeah. she does you know she's an army wife as well when there's almost <laughs> hardly anything left well first of all she taught me always push from the bottom do you guys do yeah. that roll up yeah obviously essential but then when you think there's nothing left you cut it in half so it splits into two and then you 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 scoop in with your toothbrush to get some yeah. more just a little tip for, for making everyone's money go a bit further everyone <laughs> thank you <laughs> wow wow i love it um Kat, are there any alternatives to toothpaste? I, I know about, do you know this, AJ, about mm. um, swishing coconut oil through your mouth is one oh, way yeah. that people work on that. Have you ever tried that? I've heard this and I have tried it a couple of times, actually, but I've always brushed my teeth as well. So I've never tried yeah. it in isolation. There are definitely alternative ways to keep teeth clean without the three main ingredients that we know, which is toothpaste, toothbrush, water, that kind of thing. And tooth powders like they made in the Tudor times still are around too. Mm. Um, there are cleaning sticks, which are sometimes called miswak in Eastern Africa. They're all natural made and they're popular in countries where water is sometimes scarce. Oh my gosh, my mum and dad had cleaning sticks. Oh, right. Both my parents are from Nigeria, they're from Delta State um, in the south. And my dad said that he used to brush his teeth like that. And so I've seen them with my own two eyes. I was going to say, this is not a way to clean your teeth, but as a sort of mid-afternoon breath freshener, I know in lots of countries, um, lots of countries and cultures, um, both for the taste, but also the uh, sort of um, refreshingness of it all, they use a lot of chopped parsley and mint in foods because that can really um, refresh after a particularly garlicky or oniony meal. And mm. that's why I think another reason that something like mint tea is a sort of digestif is also quite refreshing. Obviously, it's not cleaning, but that feeling of having a fresh mouth. And I was just thinking as well, sometimes when I don't need to brush my teeth, but say I've got to do something and I need a confidence boost, I'll just go and brush my teeth mm. in a way that like it for like a two minute job it just sort of instantly perks me up a little bit <laughs> well it does and that's why that's why you shouldn't brush your teeth right before bed because it actually wakes you up really yeah it, it perks you up so when you're getting ready for bed you should try and you should try and brush your teeth like an hour before you're actually aiming to get to bed it wakes you up stops stops you snacking too yeah that too <laughs> <laughs> I guess it vibrates your brain, doesn't it? It wakes you up, literally shakes your head. You know when sometimes, especially in the winter, you ever get when like your pipes are freezing? So you go to like rinse and you're like, ha, ah, as it hits your teeth. <laughs> that definitely wakes you up. Well, you shouldn't rinse as well. That's the other thing as well. Spit. You shouldn't rinse your mouth when yeah. you're brushing your teeth. Just spit. Just spit. Spit it out. I think when I was younger, 
I, as a sort of little acts of rebellion, would just refuse to wash or refuse to do my teeth because I knew that brushing teeth time meant bedtime was near and all I wanted to do was read my book all night. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I really remember my mum and she's still like, bless her, like so bossy. But she she would always say like, why brushing your teeth was so important for when you get older. And of course, when you're a kid, right? Getting older yeah. is like a bazillion years away. But <laughs> I, you realise how important it is, isn't it, to get to, get that sort of good habits and still the good rituals when you're a kid because it is something that could so easily fall by the wayside. Absolutely. And not only just for like, obviously, a minty fresh breath and maintaining your social life, but also to actually avoid disease and infection in your mouth. Like that is a very good habit to get into from a very young age. That's it. Yeah, but maintaining and instilling hygiene habits in children is really difficult, let alone in a pandemic. The charity WaterAid helps people around the world who don't have access to clean water or hand washing facilities maintain good hygiene habits. They've distributed more than 1.3 million hygiene products and 1,500 wash stations during the pandemic. Wow, that's amazing. Wow. 1.3 million. Establishing those habits as a kid... Growing up in Blackburn with two Nigerian parents, five brothers, two sisters, it is chaos, to be honest. We'd brush our teeth everywhere. Someone would would be in the kitchen sink, someone in the bathroom sink, someone over the bathroom bath. Um, we was everywhere brushing our teeth in the morning, in the evenings. It was always pandemonium, um, passing the toothpaste around and whatnot. Um it was chaos, but it was fun. And I'm I'm really glad that it was very important for my parents to establish those habits um, because certainly my both my parents are from poor backgrounds in Nigeria. And I remember my dad having to take out two teeth when he moved to the UK. And he it was something that he definitely didn't want for his children. Um, so as much as it was absolute chaos getting us all to brush our teeth twice a day, it was something that was installed in us very early. And you know what? Now we're into the summer. I'm just thinking, do you know, rarely, 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 like there'll be like, you know, a problem with the taps or maybe there's, Mm. I don't know. It's very rare, isn't it? That we we're so lucky here. Very rare that we get a drought or there's a problem, you know, with our water reserves yeah but you the number one you think thing is you know how am i what am i going to drink then you start thinking about how you're going to clean your armpits and you think you realize when you go half a day or a day without brushing your teeth you realize how important it is and how different you feel and all of these things it's so funny that you mentioned that because essentially you know i know after the year that we've all just had we're all carrying around hand sanitizer but you before then Hand sanitizer, I'd only buy if I was going to a festival or if I was yes. going traveling and I wouldn't know, you know, how close the toilet was going to be with running water and things like that. And actually, it just it just brings to light how much we take clean water and decent toilets and good hygiene for granted. Um, that's why it's incredible all of the work that WaterAid is doing. are you a sports nutritionist did i read that right yeah so i am qualified in sports nutrition amazing 
What? Yeah. How was that? Was that because you were completely in love with athletics and so on, or? Yeah, essentially, I have always gravitated towards fitness and sports growing up, and um, so much so that I took a personal training course, and then an extension of that was to just learn about nutrition and how it aids your body. Um, and one of the things that I learned was obviously how bad sugar is for us, um, which is so frustrating because I love it. I used to have two sugars in my teas. I now have no sugars in my teas. I used to have one sugar in my coffees. I now have no sugar in my coffees. Um, I don't have dessert after every single meal. Um, and when I have my yogurts, for example, because I love yogurts, especially in the morning, I tend to go for a sugar-free yogurt. And you think it, you know, at first it takes your taste buds a little time to get used to, but it's so amazing how quick you can form those habits. And it's, it's only a little bit, but it all adds up. If you think about, you know, you having two sugars in your cup of tea every single day, if you take that out, you've already reduced it by lots within a week. Mm, mm. And, it, and what's so interesting as well is, sometimes it can be really shocking where the sugar is in what mm. we've eaten that day because so many savory products, your curry sauces, your ketchups, your your marinades, your teriyaki sauce, they've just got so much sugar in them because like you say, uh, you said right, the, right at the beginning of what you just said, you're like, it's so delicious. You know, it yeah. is delicious. And <laughs> these food manufacturers know that it can be quite addictive and sugar balances out salt and spiciness and it is so delicious. But you're right, it can be easy and you feel better off it rather than on it. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And say, for example, I used to have cereal first thing in the morning and then on top of my cereal, I'd put sugar and then started to crash at like 11, just so, felt so tired. Because now I don't have those cereals with loads of sugar first thing in the morning, which means that at this time, I'm still wide awake as it should be. Um, so, you know, sugar definitely does have an impact on your body in a way that you don't always recognise. Yeah, you got so much energy. I mean, I'm my energy's <laughs> vibing off your energy, but it's so true. Like, and again, like going back to just us all getting older, because we're just comparing it to when we were kids, but we want sustained energy and we want to feel good. And we want to mm. like smash it at work all day and have a great day. And then we still want to have energy for life afterwards. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything for the energy. Exactly. I think that, I think we have to stop. AJ Dudu, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for your brilliant, very necessary object. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I, I have learned so much about it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for all of the information. And just a massive shout out and thank you to WaterAid for all of the incredible work that they continue to do, bringing clean water and decent toilets and good hygiene to everyone, really. You know, all of the things that I take for granted. Who knew that even just brushing my teeth in the morning and the evening was such a luxury. That's it. Hear, hear. Very Necessary is brought to you by WaterAid, a charity working worldwide to make sure everyone, everywhere, has clean water, decent toilets and good hygiene. If you'd like to find out more about what WaterAid does, like their work distributing hygiene products and hand washing facilities, please visit wateraid.org or follow the link in the episode description. 
I'm Melissa Hemsley. Thank you for listening and talk to you soon. Very Necessary is a Water Aid and Story Things production. For Story Things, the producer is Freya Hellier, the executive producer is Hugh Gary, the writers are Kat Summers and Lindsay Martinstein. For Water Aid, the producers are Rebecca Heald and Nick Chowdhury. The editor is Joel Samartzi, with research by Jonathan Chapman. <laughs>